and welcome to the Back to Work Connect podcast. I'm Gina Oglesby, CEO of Back to Work Connect, an education and employment career hub designed to get returners and career changers back to work. In each episode, we will discuss topics that are important to you, including financial well-being, mental health, and the supports available to help you get back to work. In this episode, we are joined by Neve DeBurka, founder and CEO of Sprout Plants, to discuss estate management. You're very welcome today, Neve. Thanks, Gina. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk about personal estate management. So what do you mean by this? I guess estate management is about putting in place plans uh, for what happens to you, your asset, your loved ones, should something happen to you. So if you are no longer in a position to make decisions for yourself, whether it's financially or otherwise, and whether it's on a temporary or permanent basis, you'd want to put in place legally binding instructions so that, that your wishes are still carried out. So that's really what estate management is. So do you mean estate management is like having a will? Yeah, but not exclusively. Um, Having a valid will in place makes sure that when you die, your assets are distributed according to your wishes, all right. But you also need to have your estate in order if you become incapacitated, like either on a temporary basis, you know, say uh, if you're in hospital for a while or something more permanent, you know, we look at Bruce Willis. It's important that your next of kin or an appointed person can access your assets to provide for your care and your loved one's care when you can't. So you're tied up in a hospital. Who's going to pay those bills, et cetera? And, you know, one of the other things is if you have all your assets in your own soul name, how can your husband or your spouse even access those assets? Because they're not allowed to pay for medical and household costs. So, you know, the world keeps going, even if it's only temporary. So not necessarily on death. So how do you appoint somebody um, to make decisions on your behalf? Surely if you're married, it just ha- is your next of kin. Would that be right? Or is there somebody else? Not necessarily. And, you know, there's many situations why you won't want a, a spouse or an estranged partner to, to, to make decisions on your behalf, like if you split up. So in Ireland, what we have is an enduring power of attorney. This is a legal arrangement whereby should you become incapacitated, your chosen power of attorney lodges the power of attorney and says, I'm taking over for a period of time to make decisions on behalf of Neve. Many times it might be your next of kin, all right, but there can be reasons why you might not choose them and you choose somebody else, as I said, marital breakdown. But the power of attorney, they have to be over the age of 18. So what happens if you don't have power of attorney in place and you're in an accident? It just really causes delay. So in that instance, a personal representative needs to apply to the courts to make you a ward of court. So Essentially, legally, the courts have to decide if if whoever is applying for the position is the appropriate person who's going to look after your best wishes. And this can take time, cost. It's, it's legal. It's just it just creates delays, you know, when when things might might need to be responded to quickly. And so how do you put a, an enduring power of attorney in place? This is a legal document, Gina, and um, it's put in place with a solicitor. A lot of times people tend to put enduring powers of attorney in place when they're doing their will or updating their will. So now that you've mentioned wills, uh, surely if you have a straightforward estate, there's no need for a will and your spouse or next of kin will inherit all your assets. Or do you have to be specific about who gets what? No matter how simple um, an estate is, unless you have no assets at all in the world. But even then, you know, somebody needs to make decisions for you in the absence of a valid will. Your estate is actually split according to the Succession Act, the 1965 Succession Act. And this sets out a number of rules based on your own personal situation. So, for example, if you have a civil partner and children, your civil partner will get two thirds of your estate. 
And one third of your estate is then divided amongst your children on a prorated basis. And then there's different scenarios if your child has predeceased you, if there's grandchildren, if all these kind of combinations. Then if your children are under the age of 18, their share of the assets will be held in trust. So that's one third of the estate. It's not I bequeath a specific piece of jewellery that I got from my grandmother to my daughter. And then say there was people that you wanted to look after, like you had a godchild who was who was your nephew they, they don't they don't fall under the succession act and they're not entitled to anything under your state and i've seen situations where there was no will in place and what happened was a survi- surviving spouse received two-thirds of the estate and there wasn't a huge amount of liquid assets within the estate and the children who were minors at the time received one-third of the estate so even to dispose of the assets they the the spouse didn't own the house in the entirety. They needed to get the approval of the trustees of the children's estate. Really, the Succession Act will cover off how a deceased estate is distributed in the absence of a will and not according to your wishes, as I've said. But one very important thing about the Succession Act is that it sets out a legal right share. And this is really important. So this is the minimum amount that a spouse or civil partner is entitled to, uh, whether there is a valid will in place or not. So say I had a fight with my civil partner one day and I said, I'm changing my will. You know, it was a one day fight. And I went down and I said, my civil partner is only going to get a thousand euros of my estate. They are not, you know, I don't want to give them any more than that. They can actually go back through the courts and challenge for their legal right share, which is 50 percent. And this can be especially important in the situation where um, a relationship is breaking down. I know I used an example there of a fight with my civil partner, but where the marriage or the civil partnership has broken down completely. And before there's any legal proceedings in place, like a legal separation or divorce, whereby the spouses revoke their rights under the under the Succession Act, they can actually come after your state. So you could be split up with someone two years, pass away assume that all your assets are going to your children because that's what you've written in your will and they can challenge it unless they've revoked their rights. So in the very short term, what should, what should be the first thing any couple in a partnership, marriage or civil partnership do uh, to make sure that they have access to enough cash in the short term? Yeah, so I would see a lot, Gina, that you'd have a couple and maybe one might be an earner and one not the earner and, you know, a lot of the cash assets might sit in, in the name of one person. And if that one person who held cash assets dies and it's in their those cash assets were in the sole name of the deceased, they can't access those in the short term to pay for funeral costs, to pay for day to day living. It causes a big, big liquidity squeeze. So the first thing would be to say, if you are in any kind of relationship, that you should have a joint account that you can both access one to sign, not both to sign, because there's no point if both of you have to sign for any transactions on the account and one is deceased, that you can access should anything happen in the short term. Now, if you're not in a, a married or in a civil partnership with this person and the account balance is over 50,000 euros, the account will be frozen. If you're not married or in a civil partnership, make sure you keep the, the balance on that account below 50,000 euros so you can access it. The idea is, is that there's no inheritance tax between spouses. So there's not as much potential for a revenue claim as it would be if you are not married. 
So you mentioned joint accounts there, Neve. Um, so are you saying that if two people have a joint account irrelevant of their relationship, the surviving account holder inherits the full balance once it's less than 50 grand? Well, it, it's it's not even about the balance, Gina. This, so this is more joint accounts and any assets that are held as joint tenants. And joint tenants is a very important word. They automatically, it's called they automatically pass outside the estate. So say you and I held a property together as joint tenants, right? We won't even talk about cash accounts because they can be a little bit more straightforward, but we own the property as joint tenants. And I said in my will, I want my share in that property to go to my child. Unfortunately, because the legal structure of the ownership, irrelevant of what I said in the will, because we're joint tenants, that automatically passes to you should I die you automatically get the benefit as a joint tenant. And it's the same thing with cash accounts. And it is the same thing then with life cover policies as well. So if you have a life cover policy with somebody else, it automatically passes to the surviving person. And then the tax on it is dependent on, on the, the, other, the surviving joint tenant's relationship to you. So say, for example, you had someone that you especially wanted to take care of should you pass away. And you weren't gonna, it wasn't so much around the tax planning, but you just wanted to make sure that they got an asset or cash or whatever it was. And for whatever reason, you were worried about somebody else getting it. You could own it as a joint tenants and to make sure that they do indeed get those assets. Now, I would say, though, that's very different. There's another term called tenants in common, Gina. And Tenants in common would happen a lot with property assets. So say I bought a property with my brother. I want to hold on to half that property and I want it to go to my estate. So I don't necessarily want it to be owned as a, a joint tenant in that situation. I want it to be a tenant in common. So if you're, say, in a, a young budding relationship with somebody and you're buying a property, say your first home, and you're not too sure, you're a bit nervous about the relationship, but with the housing crisis, you want to get on the property ladder. It's very well worthwhile considering owning that property as tenants in common so that should you die, the other person doesn't necessarily get it. It goes to whoever you want. So, it, again, it can be a clever way of structuring your estate. So just a quick sort of example of joint tenants. If you have two people um, in civil partnership or married who own a property together, it's their family home. They don't have a will, but one person dies. The other person, because they're joint tenants, automatically get ownership of the property so they don't have to worry about anybody else putting a lien on the house, the family home. Would that be a fair assessment? Yes, and uh, but but I would say in relation to a lien, so a mortgage is a, is a lien. And the idea obviously would be that the, the joint mortgage protection policy would clear off the debt and then the balance would go to that person as well. But yeah, no, the, the, it showed irrelevant of, of the situation. So again, I, I know I'm talking about relationship breakdown, husband and wife buy a property he dies but he's in a relationship with somebody else he's married to this new person but still the joint owner irrelevant of the relationship gets that property so two things what about the tax consequences of somebody when they die uh, and what about their debts are, are do their debts die with them or are the debts uh, applied to their estate well i'll start with the debts one first of all gene if that's okay um unfortunately no debts do not die with you Depending on the lender, we'll assume the lender is a bank in this situation, you know, and depending on the debt. So many debts might be secured against an asset. 
So a mortgage is secured against an asset. And in the event of death, and, and, and there's also mortgage protection on the whole, mortgage protection assigned against a mortgage. So on the whole, what happens is the mortgage protection clears the debt and then the debt in the perfect world passes debt-free to the estate. Now, if there is no mortgage protection, that debt is still there. So, and that, but that debt is still tied to the asset. So the estate might be forced in a situation like that to sell the asset if there aren't other assets there to clear the debt in the first thing. So the debt has to be cleared in the first instance. Then on the net estate, capital acquisition tax is applied. So capital acquisition tax is at a rate of 33% in Ireland. It's known as inheritance tax or if on lifetime gifts. So if I was to gift you money, it could be potentially liable to capital acquisitions tax as well. So the rate is 33%. The amount that is payable is dependent on the relationship of the beneficiary to the individual. And this is assuming, I mean, there's loads of combinations, um, but this is assuming that it's Irish assets owned by an Irish deceased person passing to an Irish beneficiary, just to keep things simple. So then depending on the relationship, so between spouses, there's no inheritance tax. Children then would have a high um, threshold. So they have to receive uh, benefits from a parent or group A benefits up to 335,000 before they have to pay tax at, at the 33%. Then you go down to like brothers, which is group B. And then you move down to strangers in blood. So people who are not related by blood. And this is very important if you are in a long-term relationship with somebody. Their threshold is only 16,250 euros. So say if you were in a relationship with somebody, you bought a house together, the debt was cleared through the mortgage protection and the house was worth, we'll use half a million, a nice round number. So they were receiving a benefit of 250,000. They were receiving that benefit. They can only take the first 16,250 tax-free and the rest, assuming they haven't used it before. But there are clever ways around that by using life of another policies and we won't go into it now you know it just touches on the point of estate management getting the professional advice around estate management can mitigate unnecessary tax situations so when you're setting up your will you we have executors are, are the people who manage and dispose of your assets um you have your trustees who look after um, your minors and then you have guardians with is, is, is that all you need? If you have children under the age of 18, you need a guardian to look after them physically and mentally and, you know, to look after them. And then your trustee minds their estate and the executor looks after the will. Can they all be the same person or do they have to be different people? I mean, they, they could if you trusted someone so much, um, you know, they could all be the same person. There's no not that I, not that I'm aware of. There's no rules in place that they can't be. But they're all very different roles. So the executor is somebody who would be good at, at project management and, you know, following a process and dealing with form filling and contacting probate and all that kind of things. And if the will is well drafted, they'll, you, they'll be given specific instructions as to what they have to do with every single bit of your estate. It just takes time. The guardians, which is a very important piece. I mean, who who do you want to look after your, your children? Um, and that's a very important decision to make up until the age they are 18 and really probably beyond. So again, like executors and guardians, obviously you'd have to ask them in, ad in advance. But a trustee is more of a financial role. So the trustee looks after the estate. So the executor says, I'm just say there's no spouse. 
I have to distribute the entire estate, make sure all duties and things are paid, all taxes, all debts, and then the balance goes into trust for the benefit of the children. And more than likely, it's probably going to be a discretionary trust so that the trustees can decide how and when they distribute the assets onwards to the children. So if the children need care or they need to go to college in the States or they need to whatever it is, they can decide. But they have to manage the estate with the hope of making sure there's sufficient assets to support the children until such time as they can, they can do so themselves. Um, if it's in a discretionary trust, just when they turn 18, it doesn't necessarily mean they get the assets either. That would all depend on how the trust was written. So, yeah, that would be a discretionary will trust. It's, it's, um, it's, one, it's a good way to manage uh, the financial affairs prudently for minors. So as we know, things change in life often. So like how often would you need to update your will? And what's the importance of marriage to a will? And if you remarry, you know, does your existing will still stand or, you know, does marriage change everything? Well, marriage certainly does change things on the way in and the way out. Um, so first of all, if you have a will in place and then you get married, it revokes the will, right? Um, so you need to write a new will. You know, if key events happen in your life, whether they're financial or personal, like um, if you have children, you might want to rewrite the will. If you in, win the lotto, you'll probably want to rewrite the will. So, you know, keep it at, your, at the back of your mind. Once you have a valid will in place, is it still current? Is it, you know, is it still valid? When the marriage breaks down, I kind of touched on it earlier on, until there's a legal separation or divorce in, in place, and the surviving spouse may not have revoked their their legal rights. When they, if they were to get married again, they no longer have a claim on the will. But if they don't get married again, they they might be able to challenge for their legal rights share, which I touched on. It's a really complex um, idea to think about, isn't it? You know what what's going to happen to me when I'm gone, and if myself and my partner go at the same time. So it's a really interesting thing that. We probably don't think about, you know, pretty much like pensions. We don't really think about them until, you know, something happens and we say we should have had one of them before. So how does somebody go about putting a, a will in place and where is the best place to start? Well, it's a lister. I mean, to put a, a fully valid will, there's all sorts of rules behind what makes a will valid and not valid. If I scratch down something on a piece of paper here, it's not valid, right? Or if I got um, a, somebody who's going to inherit my estate to sign, to witness it, it's not valid. Like there's all sorts of rules behind it. So first of all, I would say talk to a solicitor who practices in this area. There's a great service actually, makemywill.ie. That's well worth checking out. It's it's a very efficient service. Um, now, I'm not connected in any way to Susan, who who operates the business, but um, from all accounts, very efficient, very cost efficient. She knows what she's doing. But, you know, talk to your own family solicitor, but definitely talk to a solicitor. And then they'll talk you through the whole EPA thing as well. And um, just interesting there that you, you said about you both die. You know, what about if you're both in an accident and you've minor children? We need to think about that as well when we're writing our wills. And I didn't really, you know, as you say, it's one of those things. Oh, that's never going to happen. But plan for the worst and it won't happen. Neve, thank you so much for your time today. That was a really interesting topic. Thank you for listening to Back to Work Connect, the podcast. I'm Jean Oglesby. And today we were joined by Neve DeBurka, founder and CEO of Sprout Plans to discuss estate management. If you like the Back to Work Connect podcast, you can find us at backtoworkconnect.ie or on Google Play. Thank you to our sponsors, Bank of Ireland, the Begin Together Fund and the Community Foundation of Ireland.